Senator Mike Azinger with, not with, my co-host today, Pastor Leversey has flown the coop. He's out of town, not in his chair, AWOL today. So he's taking uh, his family, I don't know if they went anywhere, but they're on vacation, much deserved vacation, not in the chair today. But I have um, two gentlemen that uh, are going to do an excellent job, as they always do. Mark Daller, who's been with us a number of times on the show, and his son, Timothy. Tim Daller, who I've known since he was, uh, how old, Mark, since he was? Uh, very young. Very young, maybe yeah. uh, as high as my knee, but now he's got his children of his own, and he's the one that uh, produces the show. He's the one that makes it ready for radio, and uh, uh, so, Tim and uh, Mark, thanks for coming on the show today. Well, thank you for uh, very much for the invitation. It's an honor to be here. Yes, sir. And Tim, good to have you. Yeah. I won't tell you my age because that will make you feel really depressed. <laughs> yeah. So I can guess it. So I moved back from Indiana, uh, back from college in 92, mm-hmm. and you were three or four, <laughs> right? Uh, no. So that was not 29 years. <laughs> Is that wrong? No, no, no. Um, I am um, 38. You're 38? Yeah. What year were you born? 83. So you were more than three or four. Okay, I was thinking you were oh, little. I was not so young. You were, you were nine years old. You were you were yeah. a, a punk little kid. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, you never said anything. He was like really quiet. More. I'm like your father. Your father uh, uh, can be loquacious, which mm-hmm. is why I like him. I like loquacious individuals. Um, so uh, we're going to have a good show for you today, folks. Uh, we're going to do something there. It's Christmas time. If you're listening on Thursday, we're recording here on Wednesday. Christmas is approaching. Uh, it's uh, Saturday, right? Uh, so, yes. Correct. So the Thursday is uh, uh, just a couple days before Christmas. That's when we are on at 5 o'clock, the uh, only radio show, radio show in America where you will experience the fusion of church and state. That's the Voice of Truth, a radio show. Thursdays at 5, Saturdays at 3. So we'll be on Christmas Day also. Um, So thanks for tuning in. We podcast, by the way, Voice of Truth with Mike Azinger. So here's the agenda today. We're going to start out talking about um, a Texas abortion bill that passed that uh, we talked about this before, but the... uh, uh, the results of this that are just uh, just amazing. So we're going to talk about that in a second. We're going to do something uh, we've never done in the second segment. I want you to tune in. So Mark Dowler and I kind of have a an unspoken uh, competition with books that uh, you probably don't even know about. I just try to keep up with you. Uh, and uh, unsuccessfully so absolutely failing miserably <laughs> but i i always have a book or two going nonstop, probably 35 years but i just don't have the pace that you have you are so we're going to talk about books the books we've read this year and um uh, mark's got several great comic books that he's uh, 
that he has uh, brought with him today that uh, – is that funny? Uh, yes. <laughs> I got the joke from Tim, your son. And uh, so we're going to talk about books in the second segment. This will be fun. I brought like uh, – I don't know how many I've read this year, but I brought uh, how many? Five with me that are um, – so when my when my boys were growing up, I I just pushed books on them all the time, and they'd pull out a book uh, that was like you know okay whatever I called them uh, bubblegum books. They're like you chew on them, lots of work, uh, but you get nothing out of them. So every once in a while, so I had a I had a competition with my boy, not a competition, but uh, one summer five six years ago, I gave them a stack of ten books, and I said I'll pay you ten bucks a book. And if you read them all by the summertime, I'll give you a hundred bucks. So I gave them uh, I gave them books out of my library, and I put a couple of of uh, bubblegum books in in the middle to give them something to like Louis L'Amour. Louis L'Amour, really, I don't know if you guys have read Louis mm-hmm. L'Amour. So you're a Louis L'Amour fan. So he's not he's bubblegum, but he he's got stuff packed full in his uh, because he 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 knows so much and travels so much. But um, anyway, so we'll do that in the second segment. Third segment, third segment. We're going to talk about. Uh, I got two stories here. I think that we'll definitely talk about this fee uh, article, F E E, which is a. I think it's just maybe basic, basically a uh, libertarian organization, and they have an incredible article that uh, I just saw somewhere, probably on Facebook. It's a year old, but it's it's a uh, it's pertinent to right now, and it's about Marxism, where it came from, and uh, how long it's been around and germinate. It germinated, started germinating in the eighties, and just in uh, in there the article juxtaposes it with the death of communism and the paradox there. Uh, Mark Della, we we were. Uh, Old enough to watch in '89, all those all those com- uh, countries across Europe that were communists start falling one by one. Absolutely. Remember that? Yeah, the wall when the wall came down, it it all seemed to uh, begin to crumble. Yes. So we'll talk about that in the third and fourth segment. So so let's get going here, Tim. Do you mind if I point that clock towards me so yep. I can see? Um, okay, I just want to see how much time we have in each segment. There you go. Yep. That works. Um, so here's a story. Out of uh, Texas, this is LifeSite News, and uh, good a good website, good organization. Texas abortion ban has cut abortions over fifty percent, saving thousands of unborn babies from abortion. The guys, uh, the guy who wrote it, uh, Mika- the gal, I guess, Michaela Bilger. And this is uh, just a couple days old. The Texas heartbeat law has saved thousands of unborn babies from violent abortion deaths since it went into effect September 1. Guess how much, gentlemen, guess how much abortion has gone down in Texas just since September 1? Does anyone want to venture a guess? I have no idea. 50%. Wow. 50%. So uh, that's in the first month alone. And uh, that's according to a recent study, a National Catholic Register report highlighted the effectiveness of the pro-life law this week, citing evidence that abortion bans and restrictions do reduce abortion rates and do save lives. 
Imagine that. One study from the Texas Policy Evaluation Project at the University of Texas at Austin compared Texas abortion numbers in 2020 and 2021 and found that abortions dropped 50%. So here's the real numbers. The report found, according to the research, 2,164 abortions were provided in September 2021. The year before, compared to the September of the year before, in 2020, there were 4,313. So it went from 4,313 abortions in Texas in 2020 uh, to 2,164 abortions in 2021 after this abortion law was passed. Since then, Texas abortion facility directors have reported even bigger drops in their abortion numbers, as high as 80% compared to the previous year. So it's, it's now even dropping more because of this Texas abortion law, or pro-life law. With more than 54,000 abortions reported in Texas in 2020, that equates to thousands of unborn babies' lives saved thus far. The law, which went into effect September 1, prohibits abortions once an unborn baby's heartbeat is detectable. So this is the heartbeat bill. This is started by a a gal named Janet Folger-Porter from Ohio, who I've met her, I've talked to her, she is just... uh, insane in her uh, uh, in her zeal and I mean insane in a good way in her zeal for the pro-life cause and uh, Ohio just uh, where, yes. where you guys uh, where you guys Tim used to live but uh, where Mark you live Ohio yeah. just passed the heartbeat bill you yes. remember that just a year or two ago and and uh, I, I'd be interested to see the numbers in Ohio yeah I haven't I haven't really heard uh, what the the statistics are at present uh, uh, in Ohio but uh, I know Governor DeWine did sign that legislation here uh, months ago and uh, so we'll, we'll just have to wait to see how it all works out. So the law which went into effect September 1 prohibits abortions once an unborn baby's heartbeat is detectable about 6 weeks of pregnancy. So Roe v Wade which was horrible law. There's nothing that even countenances that concept in the Constitution that yeah. you can kill babies. Of course, it's awful. It's never uh, never even uh, entered the mind of the founders. And uh, Roe v. Wade said when it passed in uh, 73, it was never a law. The voters never voted on it. By the way, in England, the voters voted on it. They voted into law in England. It was seven two seven justices who obviously don't know God said, "Oh yeah, sure," and sixty one million or sixty three million. Wherever you get your stats, uh, babies have have died uh, have died since then. So it also includes a unique private enforcement. This law, this heartbeat bill law. This is what's fascinating about this bill. This heartbeat bill includes a unique private enforcement provision that allows individuals, not the state, not the government, it allows individuals to sue abortionists who violate the law. So so individuals, yeah. citizens, can bring a lawsuit uh, against an abortionist if they, if they know that they're breaking this heartbeat bill law, which is uh, fascinating to me. Well, you know, it's interesting that... Uh, uh, 
the statistics for some time have told us that a a a baby is aborted uh, every 90 seconds in America. So hopefully this legislation uh, in Texas, uh, obviously it's it's slowed it down considerably in that state. But uh, it'll be interesting to see how the uh, Supreme Court decision is going to impact it. It, it, the way, if I understand that the uh, the Supreme Court debate is that it's if 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 it goes in favor of uh, the the Texas law, then each individual state will have the right to determine their own uh, uh, decision about abortion, as it should be. Yes. It should be left up to the individual states and not to the federal government to legislate or really, uh, uh, you know, dictate uh, this really just heinous law. Supreme Court, Supreme Court has no jurisdiction uh, in this area. They should they should never have uh, been so arrogant and uh, to have taken this case. Yeah, they don't have the right to make decisions of this magnitude for the whole country we this is this is how we've we've morphed into this um uh it's 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 a rogue court in many respects because the 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 supreme court should not be ruling on abortion they should not be ruling on uh homosexual marriage they should not be ruling on the death penalty and and so on but but they have stepped in and gone outside of their bounds in the last, I don't know, 50, 60 years, even back to, you know, 47, I forget the, the uh, court decision then. But, uh, but so, so here this, here's this rogue Supreme Court that, that Congress could, if they wanted, step in and say, no, you can't do this. You can't, you can't uh, make decisions on social issues. Congress could do that. Congress can. Congress has, we talk about three equal uh, co-equal branches of government that's in reality not true because the legislative branch has more power than the executive and uh, uh, the uh, the uh, um, judicial judicial so this legislature can can uh, move the course around can constrain boundaries and so on expand them or whatever well, in order for them to do that, it would first of all it would involve a, a degree of uh, moral courage in order to just to uh, confront this uh, evil that's in our country. Uh, yeah, you're right. Yes, the Congress would, could uh, take care of this 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 problem, uh, but they choose not to. While some Texas women, back to the article, while sec- some Texas women are traveling to other states. To abort their unborn babies, many others who otherwise might have had abortions are choosing life instead. And this is the way these these laws work. Uh, they I, th- there's an effect it has on people. I believe strongly that when a culture says uh, by law that something is wrong, it it affects the the hearts of the people. I believe that. And uh, uh, so when this Texas abortion law passed. It's it's had an effect of these ladies, these guys who are otherwise would have might have had an abortion. They're, they're saying, "No, nah, I'll choose life instead." Even abortion activists, the article says, admit that pro-life laws do stop abortions. 
You know, it's interesting that a few years ago there was a, the uh, the Guttmacher Institute uh, conducted a survey, and this is uh, an institute that is 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 uh, pro uh, uh, abortion, and they they wanted to know. Uh, the reasons why women get abortions. And it's interesting that their survey done several years ago uh, determined that the number two reason why women seek abortions is a financial decision. Basically, you know, I or we can't afford another child. But the number one reason why women seek an abortion is that an unwanted child would interfere with the mother's life career or her plans but i you know i I think that there's a a shift happening in our country uh with with just our our thinking about it i don't know if it's something that was as a uh, a product of the uh the pandemic where you know we've been locked down and and uh, for a while and it's changed our our viewpoint but it seems that more and more people are looking at the life issue differently than they did in previous times. Tim, does your generation, you're a generation after your dad and I, mm-hmm. does your generation, do you think, uh, where are they on on things like abortion, things like relativism, absolute truth? Uh, which, I mean, I, you work at a church, so you're yeah. kind of in a bubble of sorts. Yeah. But, but what, you know, what do you think, where do you think your generation, are you Gen Z, is that what you... Uh, te- it's hard to keep up with these generations. Technically, I am considered to be a millennial, oh, but are. I do not ass- identify. Yeah, I, yeah, I do not identify as a as right, a, so as a millennial. Think, what do you think about your generation in terms of uh, God? In terms of abortion, uh, relativism? Are they absolute? They believe in absolute truths. So are they heading that direction? Here's one yeah, thing: I will say. It, your generation has. Fled from uh, yeah. Joe Biden and his policies, they're just they're running for the high hills. It's it's encouraging. Um, yeah. So, what about your generation? Um. Well, I mean, I've seen like the like the people I've I've been around myself, or, or like the I've seen there there has been a slide away from um, away from God, yeah. and it seems like the liberal agenda i mean is where they're heading to hmm. and um uh, yeah with like the um with like the relativism and like the no absolute movement i think we're seeing that more prevalent now because of with like the gender identities and stuff hmm. i mean that's part of the no absolute and um the the, the lgbt thing I, we had an article pastor leversey night uh talked about a month or so ago but the the in your face uh, uh, methods of the LGBT uh, LGBT community is, is backfiring mm-hmm. people say whoa wait a minute this is this is crazy you know what do, what are we doing here and it's backfiring and polls are polls are shifting on that yeah uh, so but we're going to do an article uh, we're going to talk about uh, I hope to get to for the uh, before the show's out, but about three in ten U.S. adults are now religiously unaffiliated. So we got two articles. We'll see if we can fit them both in. Um, that one and the Marxist article about where it started. They're both very fascinating. 
So we'll try to get them both in. We'll get at least one in. The other one I'll save for when Pastor comes back. Uh, next segment coming up, we're going to talk about books. Mark Dallas has brought his list of books. It's about as long as the tax code in the uh, uh, <laughs> United States. Thanks, kid. So I'm, I'm going to have to um, insult you to bring you down to my level uh, throughout, the, uh, throughout the segment, if you don't mind. Uh, well, that's going to be quite a task. <laughs> and uh, Tim Dow is going to uh, be mm-hmm. with us. He's going to he's going to interject too. So I brought my uh, I brought the last books that I've read, the last five because I don't keep a track like Mark Deller does, but I do have I do have a fairly uh, fairly good stack here. You're listening to the Voice of Truth Radio Wheel uh, Radio Show. We'll be back right after this. Welcome back to the Voice of Truth radio show. This is your host, State Senator Mike Azinger. Pastor Brian Leversey is not with us in the studio today. He's on vacation, well-deserved, no doubt, with his family. But I have got the next best thing, Mark Dowler and his son, Tim Dowler. Mark Dowler, you know his name because he's been on the radio show here a number of times. And Tim, his son, is the one that... uh, Pastor Leversey and I talked to during the show, and he takes care of it, gets it all ready for radio. He's the brains behind the operation here. And uh, so he, he wanted to come behind the mic. And, and yeah. oh, Tim, thanks for yeah, coming. Yeah, this, like, this is one of the few times I've actually been on the radio here. Is that right? Yeah, I've been here since 2008. Yeah. And I think I've been on the radio five or six times. Well, you can thank me for uh, that. I this is a Christmas miracle. <laughs> So, Mark Dowler, you, you used to have like a um, – you pastor out in uh, Walker or Waverly? Deer Walk. Deer Walk. And, um, but you used to go to Fellowship Baptist before I did. that. And you had a little show, like a two-minute uh, show you did on creation? Yeah, it was the the creative wor- uh, creation uh, – <laughs> I forgot what the name of the Creative program. word. Creative word. Yeah, it was a, like a two-minute uh, devotional every day. Uh, and it was really good. I mean – uh, uh, Mark Dowler is uh, he, he won't he won't talk about himself. Well, he, not a lot. He does some, but not as bad as I am. But Mark Dowler uh, is a, is a smart guy. Has his PhD, and you used to uh, you wrote uh, you would write like master's thesis level papers on just something uh, not arbitrary, but something that came up in your mind you you wrote one on the number three in creation or something yeah. like that that one i have never forgotten that that i use in my head probably weekly because oh, yeah? because you see in nature the number the number three three yeah. sites you're out first second third base and that's just a a, a little one but there's uh the the because it's it reflects the trinity what the three laws of thermodynamics right. and and so on Right. But I don't want to get off on that rabbit trail. But it was a fascinating uh, paper that uh, you gave me back in probably the '90s, early 2000s. So we're going to talk about books today. So Mark Dowler, uh, I've got I brought my probably my my four last books I've read, and the one I'm currently halfway through, and they're all basically on natural law. <laughs> So we don't want to put our audience to sleep. So I'm going to defer to you. I, you've got a list of how many books. From uh, January, starting January one of the, of uh, twenty twenty one, I finished my uh, 
I finished a book last night, which was number 30, uh, 35. Wow. And, That's uh, three a month. Yeah. I'll, 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 yeah. <laughs> three. 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 A month. There you go. Put well, that in your paper. Yeah. And just, just uh, give me credit for it, if you would, please. That's good. Three times 12. Yeah, there three you go. Three times 12. Well, he finishes yeah, one more. You need, yeah, you need one more. Because he's oh, 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 yeah. Well, I'm working on one now, so it'll be finished. Uh, I got another week, so yeah, you'll do we'll it. be done. All right. So, so uh, uh, we want to hear about your books. Okay. Well, uh, uh I, Maybe give us your last five. So what are the last five you've read? Okay. I, I, you know, I, I just finished a book here uh, several weeks ago uh, by, uh, I'm trying to think of the guy's name, Dark Agenda. It was actually uh, the— David uh, Horowitz. Da- David That's a good Horowitz, book. I absolutely. Read, I read that one this year. Uh, yeah. Um, it's the the War on Christianity in America, yeah. which was mm-hmm. a very dark uh, book. It was written several years ago, and— uh, but you know, you you touched on something, and, and I think we're going to expand on it here in, in a few minutes about the uh, the mass exodus of young people from church. Yeah. You know, it's been said, in, in the statistics are bearing it out that uh, uh, three out of four uh, young people, when they when when they become adults and you know make those decisions whether to go to church or not uh, on their own. Uh, will not, or they'll mm. just leave. And yeah. uh, those statistics have been with us for a while. I just finished a book. Uh, matter of fact, it was the one that I, I just finished uh, last night. It was written, uh, interestingly, 10 years ago by a man who works for the Barna Group, which is the you know, the Christian posters. And the name of the book, and some people may have read it, is called You Lost Me. And it's the mm. story of uh, countless young people of you know why why they left the church mm-hmm. and it's not that they left God it's that they left the church uh, because of a myriad of reasons but uh, you know we we have a problem in our churches uh, you know to uh, try to recapture and to uh, reignite this uh, uh, the passion of young people you know toward uh, the worship and service yeah. of God. Yeah. And it, it, it's a real problem, and we'll, we'll talk about that next uh, next segment. We have a, an article on it from the Pew Research Center about about that. But uh, I just want to touch on Dark Agenda. David Horowitz, who wrote that, uh, his biography I read 20, yeah. 25 years ago. He's a fascinating guy. He's a Jew mm-hmm. with a brain the size of New York City. He's just brilliant. and But he grew up. Uh, with uh, around uh, Woodward and Bernstein mm-hmm. and those families. Right. They're all Jewish families, and they used to mar- wa- uh, march with their parents when they were kids in communist parades. Yeah. So that's where Woodward and Bernstein come from. David Horowitz was a, uh, he was a, you know, cutting-edge communist mover and shaker fresh out of the, the 60s, and, and he had... An epiphany of sorts. A dear friend of his, uh, a gal, was was murdered by some of these hard leftists in the 60s or early 70s. And it just kind of shook him so bad that he started he started just basically reevaluating everything that, uh, that he believed. But his autobiography, David Horowitz, is absolutely fascinating and has one of the best covers on it uh, of any book I've ever bought. It's just him looking... Right into the camera, just three inches away, and he just—it's—it's it's phenomenal. But uh, yeah, Horowitz, great book. So yeah. anyway, I interrupted you. 
no, actually, yeah, it is fascinating. The the uh, and 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 really startling that the the things that are happening in our country and even uh, into our neighbors in the north in Canada about the uh, the persecution of Christians and Christian mm. ideas uh, in in our country. Uh, it's uh, it's it's happening more and more. Uh, it's it, legislation, whether it be local or or state, or sometimes even federal. You know, our voice is being uh, silenced in so many different ways. And 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 Horowitz kind of pointed some of these things out. And he's not even a Christian. I think he's an agnostic. Yeah, he's a, a, a raised raised a, a, in a, a liberal Jewish uh, home. He's not. He's not a Christian. I, I got to talk to him on the phone one time a couple of years ago about some legislation in West Virginia. It was really cool because I've always been a fan. He he wrote a book also that you would really really enjoy if you want to appreciate the depth of his intellect and brain power. Uh, there's a book called The Politics of Bad Faith, and uh, I think I, that's the second book of his that I read. And it, the depth of it, Mark Dallow, was just oh my goodness. How do, how does somebody even think? You ever read a book? And you 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 sit there and you read and you think how how does somebody think of this <laughs> at this level of intellect? Yeah. That's where he is, and uh, politics of bad faith. So you, you would enjoy that uh, immensely. Well, another book that it, it kind of goes in the same uh, uh, realm is one that was written a few years ago by Matt Kibbe uh, of, of uh, what mm-hmm. is it uh, uh, America. Uh, yeah, I know who. I yeah. know who you mean. I forget the organization. Yeah, right. uh, the name of the book was uh, "Don't uh, Don't Hurt People or Take Their Stuff." And, and stuff uh, or snuff? <laughs> stuff. Okay, because definitely don't take someone's stuff. Yeah, well, especially in West Virginia <laughs> or Ohio. <laughs> but but Kibby comes at it from a from a uh, purely libertarian viewpoint, hmm. which which uh, in many aspects I have to appreciate. You know. Uh, uh, you know, it's not necessarily conservative, but libertarian, but it, and it definitely is not communist. So yeah, hmm. Kibby, yes, yeah, so I, I know Matt Kibby. I know his books. All right, so can I can I take a turn here, Tim? Do you have any uh, books that you want to talk about? Um, not really. Okay, so you can just criticize us oh, yeah. uh, as we go for showing off and actually trying to make people think we're smart. All right, so here is. Uh, uh, Oh, I didn't bring one of them, but anyway, I know the name of it. So one's called Fault Lines by um, – what's his name? He's a black um, Southern Baptist theologian whose name will come to me in a minute. Fault Lines. It's about the mar- – the, uh, it's about the critical race theory movement, and he brings it from a biblical perspective. Vody Bauckham? V- uh, Vody Bauckham. Is it Vody or Vody? Uh, Okay, so I think it's Vadi. It might be Vadi. Anyway, Vadi Bauckham, B-A-U-C-H-A-M, and he's a mountain of a man. I think his dad played pro ball, uh, pro football, but uh, very good. You want to understand uh, what's going on with this critical race theory thing from a biblical perspective, read, uh, read Vadi Bauckham's Fault Lines, F-A-U-L-T, Fault Lines. And another one on, uh, on race theory is uh, Mark Levin's. Now, this book has sold, I think, 1.2 million. It's the book of 2021. Uh, it's outsold every other book in 2021, which is a uh, an amazing feat, especially with the subject. But it shows you how fearful people are of this Marxist stuff and um, the hunger to be 
to be ready to give an answer, so to speak. So Mark Levin, American Marxism, and it's uh, Mark Levin is, in my opinion, he's not a great writer, but he's a good writer. He's a great radio guy. <laughs> You ever listen to him on the radio? You ever listen to him on his podcast? Mm-hmm. So his podcast, I, I walk three or four times a week at night uh, for about an hour, and I listen to his podcast. And he's just he's just so good on the radio explaining. He's like uh, he's one of those guys that can make uh, like he was like Rush, not to that level, but he can make take a take a truth and make it simple, make it easy to understand because he's got such a big brain. And Levin is uh, Levin, Levin's like that in, on many levels. So his book on American Marxism, if if because this this race theory stuff is not going away, yeah. and it is destroying every aspect of the culture. I liken it uh, to di- diabetes. I'm a diabetic. Diabetes affects every square inch of your of your body because it goes flows through your bloodstream. Well, that's what Marxism does. It's going into the military. It's going into the churches. It's uh, it's. We just heard about the Salvation Army going woke, and uh, they're having some woke meeting out somewhere uh, here coming soon. So, wow. uh, and, and the answer is the Bible. It is an unbiblical concept of Marxism with uh, the oppressor and oppressed paradigm, and the the. Uh, the impossibility of redemption, uh, and it's, uh, it's, it's ungodly as Marx himself. All right, Mark Dowler, are you ready for your next one? Uh, yes. Well, you know, I, uh, I wrote a book, I read a book a little, a few months ago, uh, written several years ago about Israel being in crisis and the situation in Israel right now. Uh, you know, uh, President Trump uh, uh, did a, a wonderful thing here a few years ago when he was in office of uh, uh, moving the American embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem, the true capital yes. of uh, Israel. Uh, and that's still that's still standing like that. Mm-hmm. But our relations with Israel are, are a bit strained right now under the president administration. And uh, the book I read here a few years ago was it would kind of address some of those issues of the things that Israel was dealing with today, and really how it impacts us as, as not only born again believers but uh, just as as American citizens, uh, because uh, Israel is an ally. Yeah. Uh, and uh, you know we've been you know, the United States and Israel have been friends politically for uh, decades, and it's it's just a very tenuous situation. And what's right? the name of the book? Uh, Israel in Crisis. Israel in Crisis. Yeah. Huh. Uh, the author again? I don't remember. Okay. So Israel in Crisis sounds like uh, definitely a good book. Yeah. All right. So I'm going to go. Uh, we'll do one more here. I'll do one, then you do one more. Okay. All right. So this one I just finished with. It was a uh, – sometimes I'll, I'll – uh, this one's like almost 360 pages of – of heavy reading, but lots and lots of fun too. But uh, sometimes I don't know if you ever do this, Mark or Tim. But uh, sometimes I'll be reading a book, and then hey, wait a minute, I want to read this one, so I'll set that one down, read one or two, and come back to it. That's what I did with this book on John Locke. Uh, our founding fathers referred to the writing of John Locke, and were influenced by the writings of John Locke more than anything else, except for the Bible. Right. The Bible, um, but the Bible by far more than any man, but John Locke, in terms of men, was a, um, a philosopher in England, 
prior to the American Revolution, and and just it was, it was a, a a man sound in the truth of God's word, and his philosophies came from God's word in terms of government. Um, John Locke, the book is by Mary Elaine Swanson, S-W-A-N-S-O-N, and it talks about, among other things, natural law. Where do we get our laws? Where did America get its laws from? Well, we get our laws from, uh, from God's Word, from the laws of nature, which is a, uh, a term that means uh, it's, it's kind of hard to define, but, but uh, what the founders meant by it and what John Locke and, and that line of thinking meant by it was that uh, natural law is, is God's Word, Mm-hmm. And the truths that are written on our hearts by God, the Ten Commandments, and what we learn in creation, conscience and, and creation. So this book is, is a, 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 it's not necessarily a primer, but it's a good starting point. If you want to learn what, what the, the uh, philosophies were that our founders uh, based their, their – the, Decla- the Declaration of Independence has John Locke in – uh, phrases in them. That's where Jefferson got many of his phrases from, from John Locke. And uh, it's just a, a very, very good book. Gets better as it goes. It's one of those books that is okay to start with and then man, man it just gets really good. Well, John Locke was, uh, uh, was a very well-read uh, uh, man of his time. Uh, many, uh, most of our founders, perhaps all of them, had read him. Yes. It was a very his right. works were highly uh, circulated during that time, and it's interesting they, that the uh, uh, some of the most uh, learned men of the day uh, of the colonial times were uh, the men of, of, of clergymen. Yes, and uh, and they also were familiar with John Locke's his inalienable mm. rights, the human rights, mm. and the, the being that these were. Uh, God-given rights that cannot be taken away by any government system. Yes. And uh, the clergymen were certainly familiar with it. So our founders were reading John Locke and then hearing John Locke uh, referred to from the pulpits of the churches that they attended. So our founders were not only very, uh, most of them very moral men, but they were also highly intelligent and, and open to this idea that uh, we should be free. That's a great observation uh and and uh john witherspoon (laughs) you mentioned you mentioned how our our uh he he, john witherspoon was a presbyterian theologian of of great influence uh he signed uh signed the deck of the constitution i forget which but i think but uh he uh witherspoon um taught many of the founders like a third of the signers of the constitution and a fourth of the signers of the declaration or vice versa uh, Madison was under the tutelage of of John Witherspoon, uh, uh, and and the kids back then in those days they were taught by preachers uh, because the preachers were the most learned uh, people in in uh, the community. Yeah. So, well, yeah, Madison almost became a uh, a, a preacher rather yeah. than a politician. <laughs> right, uh, right. But when you read Madison, you can certainly kind of see that influence of of Witherspoon, and then uh, going all the way back to John Locke. There you go. All right. All right, so uh, real quick, one more book from Mark Dowler out of his list of 35? Yeah. 35, 35 books this year. Well, I, you know, I like, I like to read the biographies of famous people and, and 
I, I read a book uh, months ago, actually earlier in the year. Uh, it's been out for a little while by Edmund Morris, uh, Theodore Rex. It was mm-hmm. a very uh, large book uh, about the uh, it was biography of Theodore Roosevelt. Yes, and uh, and during his administration, and I le- learned quite a few things about uh, about Teddy Roosevelt that I didn't know. Uh, but uh, it was a it was a it was a very in depth study of. Uh, uh, President Roosevelt. And, uh, it was so a, it was us conservatives have a love hate relationship with Teddy, <laughs> yeah. Teddy Roosevelt. That was kind of his magnus opus. Uh, yeah. More Edwin Morris, yeah. and then he tried Reagan, and just uh, I think he flopped. Yeah. yeah. But uh, in terms of of Roosevelt, in terms of Roosevelt's just sheer manhood and that influence he had on on the culture. He was giving a speech one time, a shot. Yeah. And finishes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you, uh, you know, uh, Roosevelt, uh, Teddy Roosevelt was a is a fascinating character to uh, to to read about and to to really analyze because uh, he he uh, he did a lot of uh, uh, conservation work that's still with us today, but he was also a very uh, extreme progressive. He even tried to to run later after he left office to run again for president yeah. uh, with a uh, a pure progressive uh, agenda, uh, and you know we hear that term today. You know the progressivism it's it's not a new thing. Mm. Uh, it was uh, so it was it was the same meaning as today. Was it a liberal agenda? It was. It was. Wow. It, it, it was. Yeah. Yeah. So he wasn't one of us, except that we love and admire him. Uh, his son. His his sons were amazing. His son was uh, on the beaches of Normandy on D Day, yes. yes. And uh, from from the witness accounts, he he was uh, de- uh, displayed. Somebody said the, the greatest act of bravery he'd ever seen, just watching uh, Roosevelt's son barking out orders with his cane. Right, he had mm-hmm. a cane, I believe, yeah, yeah. and and just unflappable, just just not. Uh, he he just wasn't afraid, uh, you know, bombs and bullets and all that, and then he he died of a heart attack uh, shortly after that, after the Normandy yes. experience. So, uh, so that sounds like a good one. I, I remember hearing so much about that book, and I have not read it, so that's a good recommendation. All right, so we're out of time. Uh, one, one more thing. Well, if you if if anyone is interested in, in any of these books, we are going to have links posted on our Facebook page. All right, good job. So, Tim Dallar. Yep. Okay, we're out of time for this segment. We'll be back, and then uh, we're going to finish up. By, by the way, folks, don't forget, we got a Christmas etiquette uh, segment. We always do the etiquette segment on the Voice of Truth radio show. And, uh, hey, we're not going <laughs> to disappoint uh, right before Christmas. So stay tuned for the rest of the, uh, the, rest of the show. I think we'll do uh, – we'll talk about the uh, the uh, waning of the uh, – Christian influence in America, and uh, just even just in the last few decades, the the numbers that we've uh, we've they're not encouraging. But uh, hey, God's on the God's on the throne, and we're we're still seeing a lot of encouraging things. Really, we are. But um, but uh, these are some troubling numbers, and uh, Christians need to. I don't want to say wake up because I'm so tired of hearing people say wake up, but we do need to certainly uh, get. Uh, Get God's help and power uh, back, back in our culture. You're listening to the Voice of Truth radio show. This is Mike Azinger with Mark Daller and Tim Daller. We'll be back right after this.
Welcome back to the Voice of Truth Radio Show. This is your host, State Senator Mike Azinger. Pastor Leversey is not in the studio today. He is hither and yon with the family and on vacation enjoying himself. So we wish them well. Uh, they certainly deserve a little bit of a little bit of relaxation during the Christmas season. I love Christmas time. You guys Christmas guys are like yeah, in, in my much. family growing up. Uh, everything came to a standstill at Christmas. My yeah. mother would decorate. My mother is like uh, the best decorator I've ever met. Um, she just is real, really good at it, and she loves to do it. And growing up, so we always had yeah. – remember the lights, Mark? <laughs> Uh, the green, red, and all green and red or whatever. We yeah. put those up, the Christmas tree, the tinsel. Oh, yeah. And yeah. Uh, our house was decorated to the nines. Back uh, when we had live trees. Yes. Of course, we get a live tree. We found, we found a afterwards, if you can't find a live tree, I'll tell you. We found a place this year finally. We always get a live tree. We just we just can't always find a, a good one. And a lot of times it's our fault because we go too late. But we went early this year. And man, we just—I think it's our best tree ever. We just sit and stare. <laughs> we sit and stare at it. We have fun uh, decorating. So, do you have a Griswold type of a Christmas? Um, I've never watched that, uh, but I, I do do hear that Cousin Eddie is quite quite funny. Uh, is that oh right? yes, huh? Oh yes, he's quite funny. Yeah. <laughs> my, my sister always imitates him. I never quite get the imitation because I've never seen uh, seen the movie. But um, I hear it is funny. So uh, the irony of the the whole Christmas movie things that have nothing to do with Christmas, like um, uh, what's the famous one with uh, you know up the uh, the building gets blown up and uh, oh that is um that is um, die hard die yes. hard yeah die hard okay so that's that has what to do with Christmas <laughs> it just <laughs> happened that it just happened to Christmas it takes place at an office Christmas party okay is that what? yeah oh yeah that's about it. <laughs> So uh, that's where we are in America. Our Christmas movies are are uh, defined because there's an office Christmas party in it. There's no such thing as a Christmas movie that has uh, even the Hallmark stuff. Okay, so I got two girls in the home that that uh, and my little girl, twelve, she loves the Hallmark stuff because there's always a romantic twist to it, and they're all clean. They are clean. So she's watching one last night, and so I'm starting to watch it too. And um, I'm thinking, you know, nobody talks about Jesus in these movies. Nobody talks about the the virgin birth. There's no commercials out that talk about Jesus or nativity scenes. They're dying. So Christmas is all about uh, uh, all about going into debt. I think <laughs> buying stuff for people that you uh, halfway like. You love them, but you don't always like them. And uh, it's just the pressure of spending money. That's certainly not why Jesus came, right? Uh, I don't believe so. Okay, me either. So. All right, so let's get to the Pew Research Center. About 3 in 10 U.S. adults are now religiously unaffiliated. So self-identified Christians make up 63% of population in 2021, down from 75% a decade ago. That is a... That is a phenomenal uh, downgrade in a bad way, obviously. Christians, the Christian makeup of the culture going from 63% of the population um, down from 75% a decade ago. That, that is a, that's a lot of people and it explains a lot about 
about uh, what are, what we're starting to accept in the culture because the less Christian uh, Christian influence that we have in a culture, the the more the devil's going to advance his uh, ideologies, right, Pastor Dollar? Yeah, we're starting to see it in our churches, uh, whether your church is uh, uh, large or small or even uh, medium size, where uh, young people who used to be part of a youth group and, and then get to that age where uh, of an adult age where uh, that they just choose not to uh, 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 come to church. And, uh, you know, there's a myriad of reasons why they they, they just uh, check out. And that's really the crux of the, uh, the problem is that uh, the church has been kind of slow at addressing this. Uh, Ken Ham at Answers in Genesis wrote a book here a few years ago with an interesting title, and it was just simply already gone. Mm, uh, we've already wow. lost a generation. It's not to say that all young people uh, who are uh, of that time that are now adults have left the church, but a significant number of them have. And uh, some of them are, co- are coming back, but they're they're finding ways to serve God in uh, that is uh, goes against the uh, our, our our church uh, traditional norms, mm. and it's a good thing sometimes. Uh, and what is it, Thomas Jefferson said that a little revolution every so often is a good thing. Well, sometimes even uh, the churches needed a little shaking up. Mm, yeah, and. Uh, uh, right, generate different generations do it in a different way, and it does seem like there's uh, a shift in the way the church is is reaching folks, and a lot of it, even locally, man, you see a lot of these local churches that aren't from a denomination, they're reaching the drug addicts, and they're mm-hmm. reaching the the yes. uh, the the, the uh, thieves and the burglars and the murderers. Even yes. I heard about a guy who uh, was a murderer. Um, I don't know the situation, but got saved and baptized in a, in a, in a local church. Do you guys suppose that like the like the current culture with like the cancel culture is playing a part in this, where people are afraid to mm. admit, say, "Oh yeah, I go to church," and I think so. Yeah, it it's just yeah, people yeah people are afraid to be be associated because they're afraid it might come back to them. Mm. I think that's uh, I think that's a good observation. Well, we live in a post Christian uh, culture today. You know, for for well over a hundred years our 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 country was a judeo christian uh, uh, ethics where uh the bible and uh and morality uh was the uh, prevailing uh, philosophy but not so much today uh, uh where christianity is is uh, really in many in many circles are kind of looked down upon or ridiculed or or certainly downplayed yeah, the Bible was taught in public schools for 300 years, from 1607 at Jamestown, I think you could say, or 16, what, 14 at Plymouth yeah. Rock with the, yeah. the pilgrims. Uh, the Bible was always taught in, uh, to our children. Uh, Louis, what we talked about Louis Lamore earlier. I don't know if it's on the air or maybe off the air. I think it was on the air. But uh, uh, So my son grew up. Uh, reading Louis L'Amour, and and he said, yeah, I just read Louis L'Amour. This is years ago. Yeah, Dad, read Louis L'Amour. Louis L'Amour said that all the pioneers uh, on their bookshelf or in their wagon or whatever always had the Bible and Blackstone. Uh, William Blackstone, who uh, who was the was a was a Brit, it wasn't for the American Revolution, but. But taught on natural law, as yes. like John Locke, as uh, defined from 
uh, from uh, culture or from the uh, the uh, the Bible and creation and our conscience. Um, so, our founders and our our founding fathers and our early pioneers, they were they were godly people. They they had Bibles. They had uh, they had two books: the Bible and Blackstone, the, the Word of God and and uh, uh, Blackstone's. Uh, commentary on the laws of england and that's where we got our laws from yes. a lot of from blackstone blackstone was taught in harvard blackstone was taught in all the law schools up until the early 20th century and and he's gone now and so now and now our attorneys basically learn relativism and and uh you, and it shows by the uh so the so blackstone's kicked out of uh harvard and so on uh, Yale and all the all, all our best law schools and every law school, uh, late 19th, early 20th century, I forget which. And then it wasn't a whole lot, a, a whole lot of years after that when we start seeing these bad Supreme Court decisions. Yes, you're right. You you know you cannot you know, you cannot kick God and morality out of society and have a good end. And we are really seeing the result of that of many decades of uh, of this. Uh, uh, really just uh, kicking God to the curb and uh, so we're, we are we are proverbial uh, reaping what we sowed absolutely let's go ahead and uh, um, with the uh, article here currently about 3 in 10 U.S. adults are religious nuns people who describe themselves as atheists agnostic or nothing in particular when asked about their religious identity. Self-identified Christians of all varieties, including Protestants, Catholics, uh, Mormons, and so on, but it's not all Orthodox Christianity. But that that, that, uh, group makes up 36% of the adult population. In 2007, when the center began asking its current question about religious identity, Christians outnumbered nuns. That's nobody, people with no affiliation. Christians outnumbered nuns almost five to one, seventy-eight percent to sixteen percent. Now it's like two to one. Yeah. So we're losing ground in that area. I, I am of the opinion that uh, that the the uh, oppressiveness of the government and and uh, these these. Uh, these sexual radicals are waking people up, waking Christians up, not just in America, around the world. I believe that, and I believe God's uh, God is calling His people to rise up, be strong. And uh, Tim mentioned that a lot of his generation, maybe, or and, and other gener- are, are afraid to speak up because of the repercussions of it. But we can't be we can't be afraid to speak up. We have to be bold, like the Apostle Paul said. Be bold, like the Apostle Paul said. All right, so we are out of time for this segment, and we will be back in just a few minutes. This is the Voice of Truth Radio Show. Stay tuned. Welcome back to the Voice of Truth Radio Show. This is your host, Mike Azinger, and uh, Pastor Leversey is not here today. He's on vacation. So we got Mark Daller and Tim Daller. In the house with us, we're talking, uh, we had a, a, a first three segments I thought were really good. We talked about books, one segment. We talked about uh, the abortion issue in Texas, 
that was really good first segment so we got just a few minutes we're going to do christmas etiquette here this is our etiquette segment so this is i just found this last night digging around guys and uh it's the eight uh etiquette tips for christmas um so we don't have as much time as i thought but this was interesting the eight rules of text of uh of uh christmas and this is called the scaling rules and I'm not sure who the gal is writing this, but so husband wife gifts are highest in value, followed by parents to children. Does that make sense? Yeah. 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 I get that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you guys yeah. are like, yeah, all right. Parents with more than one child give them gifts of approximately equal value. I think that's a natural law. We understand yeah, that yeah, by instinct, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah, our little girl was saying to my, my wife yesterday, I think Tommy got more gifts than I got. So mm-hmm. I, you remember those days? Yeah. Jealousy always crops up at this uh, time of the year. I've got easy. I've got twins, so we should just buy two of everything. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you do. You're right. Children do not give uh, – children do not give more expes- expensive – presents to parents than parents give to children. So the parents are supposed to spend more money on the kids than the kids on the parents. That's We know that by nature too, right? Absolutely. That's got to be one of my natural law books here too. Parents always spend more money on the kids than the kids on the parents. Trust your parents and parents-in-law. Treat your parents and parents-in-law equally. Is that good or bad? <laughs> Should we treat mom-in-law the same as we treat our mom? Yeah, we got to, don't we? Because yeah, if you the, want a happy and <laughs> if you want a happy life, <laughs> if you want a happy Christmas. Um, all right, so uh, we are we are with them on that. Treat your married relatives' spouses equally with your relatives. For example, you give your brother-in-law a gift roughly equal to your sisters. I think that's good etiquette too. This is. Proving to be pretty sound. Don't you guys think? You guys with me on yeah. that? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think it's good. I think you guys are. Uh, what? You don't like it? Where am I wrong? <laughs> in I'm not with her. Anyway. I don't, I'm, I'm just reading her stuff, but I think she's pretty good. Gifts for siblings who live nearby and are part of one's network should be equal, but far away siblings may be given lesser gifts. Well, they probably don't know if they're far away. They probably don't know what the other person got. <laughs> so you part, might be able to get away with that. I think that's part of the motive, but I think that's uh, that makes sense to me. More distant relatives, relatives such as cousin and aunts, cousins and aunts may be on the par with siblings if they are part of one's network. So uh, I've never been that close to a lot of cousins that they would – they would be on the same par as a sibling. I'm yeah, not my, sure my, about yeah, my that. My wife has a lot of uh, cousins, but uh, they don't live around here. And, and uh, you know, if they were close. Some it, people it, have, you know, close cousins. Some yeah. people are close it, to I'm, the cousins. I'm thinking about the money. I mean, as far as yeah, being really. expensive, you have to yeah. buy a lot of gifts for distant relatives. I hear you. All right. Gifts to friends should not be valued more than gifts to spouses, parents, or children. So that's kind of a self-evident one also. But these are good basic perimeters. All right, we're out of time, folks. You all have a merry, merry Christmas. Don't forget the Lord. Tell him you love him and thank him for saving you from your sins. Have a great day.